Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Cheesy. I'm Chava. And I'm Hino. The first principle in the Agile Manifesto says, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. If you look at the Scrum Guide, the product owner is responsible for maximizing the value of the product resulting from work of the development team. Two references to this elusive term of value. What is the value that these documents, these these holy documents are referring to? Uh, there will be like four categories. First two is, is quite obvious, increase revenue and reduce cost. And there's another one, uh, protect revenue. And the fourth one, intangible. And uh, I would like to point uh, to, the, to, the, to the, the third and the, and the fourth one, where, where this value becomes less obvious, right? Because increasing revenue is, is a very, very obvious uh, business proposition. Reducing cost, again, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fairly obvious. How about protecting revenue? And not, not everybody thinks right away as, uh, as business value, but it's super important. And then we talk about intangible, and that's where it's almost like the iceberg, right? Where there's a huge invisible, uh, invisible thing, and uh, that intangible often is super important. As a PO, is there an expectation that you have all the information to prioritize a backlog and prioritize all the different kinds of value that exist in a software development context, whether it be NFRs, features, bugs, regulatory requirements? Is it fair for a product owner to, to be able to sort those? What we talk about as value when we're building it actually has nothing to do with value. It, it is a speculation. So and let me let me dive into that just a bit. For, first of all, there is no value of any sort ever earned until your software is in front of your users and your users are using it. So think about it this way. You know, we, we are building something because there is some tangible or intangible value that we'll get, but we don't get any of that until it's in front of the users, number one. And number two, even whenever we're building it, it's it's speculation. We think that we'll get value X out of it. We think that we'll increase revenue. We think that we'll uh, reduce or, or increase re- uh, retention. We think that we'll make the app simpler for our users to use. But all of these are speculation. And so so whenever, to go back to the documents that you mentioned earlier, uh, Zarar, the, the Agile Manifesto and the Scrum Guide, uh, which you said was holy, I think it is definitely full of holes, but uh, that's, that's a different topic. <laughs> uh, the, the, these talk about the product owner having that responsibility. You know, in your traditional approach where you don't deliver things very often, it, it, it becomes very, very difficult to actually accomplish those. And so what tends to happen is that people just claim success instead of actually having data to show success. Why? Because you've got to get the software in front of the users in order to earn any value or actually to even learn if you are going to earn value or not. So once you start to think about all of these other internal things like auditor requirements and these sort of things, it becomes even muddier and it's a very difficult balancing act. Again, what we've talked about in past episodes here of simply running very fast experiments, very small little changes, learning as fast as we possibly can is the right way to try to maximize the value that we deliver. What I consider the biggest value to be is the learning, the learning that you actually referred to. 
uh, learning whether or not um, all the assumptions that we make around our functionality to to increase the revenue, to increase our market share, to uh, reduce costs, all of those things. We don't know that indeed until we put those things in front, until we put that functionality in front of customers. Um, is the product owner supposed to know all this? Uh, are they supposed to be able to to figure out what is generating that most learning? I don't think they do, they do. I don't think they can, and I don't think anyone would would be able to, uh, because that learning might be in different areas. It might be uh, from uh, from a product perspective. It might be from a technical perspective as well. Uh, as well, it might be um, completely intangible, something that n- nobody knows, and and maybe related to to reg- regulatory requirements. Who knows? So. Um, you need a whole bunch of skills and you need the knowledge of everyone who's involved and who understands what we are trying to deliver, um, where the biggest gaps in our understanding are and, um, and what we can do to, uh, to reduce those gaps as much as possible by increasing the learning. And that's really where I find the value is. I want to point to the, the three circle Venn diagram that, that Henrik Nieberg draw about, um, building the right thing, building the thing right and building it fast and then looking for that, of hitting that, that sweet spot. Uh, one, one of the interesting conversation is, especially with, with new product owners, is who are your stakeholders? And uh, often nobody mentions the actual development team as being, the, as being the, one of the key stakeholders. In a way, the product owner has to be more than just a decision maker, has to be a listener, has to be a facilitator where we're trying to understand and balance these three aspects. I think the, the, the role of the product owner becomes, becomes crucial, that not only a decision maker, but also a, a very important conduit uh, among, in the organization between the business and the team and the stakeholders. What do you advise product owners when they're not necessarily in a mature continuous delivery environment yet, but have to make value-based decisions on, should I invest in this? Should I invest in that? W- what is some guidance you can give to POs who, who aren't necessarily in a fast-track CICD environment? Uh, the, the goals I would give for people in that position would be to start by moving away from, uh, my goal is to deliver this specific implementation and instead, start to think about what outcomes you want to see. What what is your goal? What what do you want? I think even continuous delivery or anybody that has a pop, a backlog that has a lot of things in it is automatically making a large number of assumptions, which to me is a lot of risk. Instead, I like to say that let's start to think about what outcomes do we want to have, and then. Let's start to think of small little changes that take us toward those outcomes. You know, we don't need to start with experiments. If you're in that position, like you were saying, Zarar, where you're just getting started and you're starting to go down through there, my recommendation is instead of having long-term plans, long roadmaps, instead start thinking about smaller interim goals, smaller things that you want to see, work with the team, to come up with the ideas to help achieve those outcomes. And those outcomes that uh, Cheesy is talking about, the 
the functionality that we propose to achieve those outcomes are still resting on assumptions, right? And those assumptions might be uh, might be valid or might not, uh, and we we never really will know that. Um, where would I start? Um, I, I can't I can't really come up with a with a better answer than uh, than what Jeezy uh, has said just uh, just before. Um, it's making those things small, and and, and even if you uh, if you uh, want to start with an experiment or you want to build one of those things in or you want to um, verify a certain assumption that you have or or, or at least uh, try to figure out if it's if it's wrong or not um, try to guide your teams or your squads towards towards uh, delivering something that gives you gives you more of that insight and uh, just by virtue of them releasing something really small they will, uh, get the hang of um, maybe not continuous delivery, but at least uh, incremental delivery, and uh, and that should put them in the right uh, on the right track at least to uh, towards continuous delivery. So what I would add is try to address one of your biggest risks as soon as possible, and then either that could be a technology risk, something that that sometimes teams face when they start a new, um, especially a new platform, a new product, and of course product risk. Try to tackle those risks as early as possible. So having that tested as, as early as possible is, is going to give the, the, these, these product owners like, uh, like so much learning that is going to be invaluable for, for the future. I, I, would, I would advise, though, to focus on uh, product risks first instead of technical risk because those are the easiest ones to solve, the, the technical risks, I mean, right? So the product risks, if... Uh, if those assumptions that you make in that space turn out to be wrong, then uh, you might uh, want to stop the project altogether because it might not be feasible from the get-go. In fact, uh, I, w- one of the biggest mistakes that I, I see repeatedly out there is where people rush too quickly to a specific solution. You know, And so I've heard, heard it said by a very, very smart uh, lady who talks about product quite a bit, that you've got to think about having multiple learning releases before you start to have what is called an earning release. So in other words, don't think right away that you're going to push a solution out, but instead think right away that you want to learn about the problem. You can also deliver value from which you can learn not just about the product, but also the culture of your organizations and maybe challenge some of the rules that exist in that organization. Let, let me give you an example. In, in your organization, a rule exists that thou shall have this document signed off by this person to get something out the door quickly and you need to invest developer time in it. Some people might look at that as a waste. Why should I need to fill out this document to get this release out the door? But at the same time, that release within that organization's current context is required. So investing time or developer time or whatever time into creating that document is also a form of value because that's how your organization is currently structured. Uh, The reason I bring this up is because I often find that teams will strive for the optimal state right off the start. Creating that document just to satisfy that organization's uh, rules is valuable to me. Maybe later on, I can challenge the creation of these things through different means, but in the interim, that's a valuable task for me. I agree that that whenever we're starting off, we have to comply with with the uh, with the procedures, if you will, that that exist in a company, w- without a doubt. Uh, I think overall, my experience has been that so many of these practices or procedures 
nobody actually truly understands why we do a lot of them in a lot of companies. So I always take this this XP approach, which is you ain't going to need it. So in other words, whenever I see these things come in, I always want to challenge it. You know, is the value of doing it greater than the effort to do it? And if and if I believe that 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 it that the value is not greater, then uh, I want to come back and challenge it. And if I can't challenge it, I want to automate it away so I don't have to think about it anymore. One of the things that I always try to do is um, is just trying to follow the process, not not just to uh, to play nice and, and to to not stir uh, stir any dust up, but also just to understand why that process might be there, uh, to understand what's involved, to understand what the effect of it is, and so forth. Because I'm a firm believer that if you want to change a system, you have to be in it, or you have to understand at least why why all these elements uh, are there and and how they interact. Um, when you start uh, challenging something like that from the beginning, then th- then what you're wasting is your you're wasting your time fighting uh, all of the the established forces, right? So you don't want to waste your time too much doing that either. Initially, following the process uh, helps me to one understand it. But two, also, if uh, if we are asked to do something very urgently and we, we follow the process and something goes wrong, then we can really point at it and say, like, look, we have a reason to change the process because this has actually been blocking us from delivering this urgent feature. And we're wondering what the value of it is. So if it's if it's blocking us from delivering this this urgent feature, there must be something wrong, or we must be able to do something about it, right? So it's a it's kind of a good start to uh, to change uh, change the system from the inside. Nothing wrong with with creating that document, but just by raising a question whether the that document itself bring the value, that's already is leading to that change. That's already leading to the changing culture. A really great agile team might have a culture where the developers or the engineers or whoever it is automatically think in those terms. And, th- and this idea of value is not deferred to a sing- single person called the product owner, whereas it's more of a shared responsibility. It-, it feels like the PO is the best we have come up with so far as an industry in prioritizing value. I, I don't think it's the best. I-, I think the PO has a role and I think it... it- comes down to the whole team, right? Product owners bring concepts, ideas. In in the ideal world, they bring desired outcomes. And then the team, which is the developers and the designers and the product owner, uh, together uh, discuss ways to potentially, you know, nudge toward or or inch toward those, those goals and experiments to run. And I think using that approach... From my perspective, then it takes a lot of the uh, the the pressure, if you will, responsibility, accountability, however you want to call it, out of the product owner's hands, and and they now are in charge of saying, "Here's what I hope to achieve," but then how do we define? And and that kind of is sort of a value statement, I guess. But then the individuals on the team iterate very rapidly to try to maximize that that outcome. I'm also more and more of the belief that having a professional product manager is far more valuable than having a product owner, which is usually supplied by, quote unquote, the business. Because if you have a product owner that is supplied by the business, their primary lens of looking at things will be the business view. 
and they will automatically be, 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 be conditioned to prioritize those kind of things more. Whereas if you are a professional product manager, you probably have the necessary skill set to actually evaluate beyond just what the business's uh, responsibility is. One thing that we never mentioned here in this conversation is, is the money and, and, and who has the, the autonomy to actually make those decisions about money. Because in the moment when you, when, when, and you can name this person, whatever you want to name it, product manager, product owner, if in the moment when you remove the possibility from this person to make decisions, uh, to make financial decisions, you are truly hollowing out this role. And in the moment when you give back this, this, this decision, which very, very few organizations do in the, in the hands of the product owner, then the, and giving, getting back this kind of financial autonomy, then it's, it's an interesting uh, conversation could happen. And this is what you would see in small startups where the product owner is the, is the business owner who actually has the money. So the term itself, I don't think indeed it's that important, but I understand where you're coming from, uh, Zerar, uh, especially product owners oftentimes coming from the business and having, as a result, a, a bias towards uh, what, what we might consider business value to be, right? Whether that's assumed or not. Um, I think that uh, that it's really the mindset of the product owner that make them a good fit for a squad or not, or for a team or not. Uh, I've worked with uh, product owners who uh, are very capable of taking uh, a different look and, uh, and and looking at the same problem in, in in a variety of different ways through the eyes of all stakeholders, including the uh, the delivery team, including operations, uh, including uh, people who need to keep the lights on as well. And, uh, and ensure that they have the right data to support the application. It really depends on, uh, on the person themselves. When, whenever I work with, uh, with product owners, I, uh, I stress that fact that they do not only represent the business, that they represent every single uh, stakeholder in the, um, in the service that they're, that they're building and that they're offering. The most successful product owners that I've seen over the years are the ones that love to work with their teams, the ones that love to to learn as much as they possibly can from the customers with the teams. Uh, so that that role, I, I think there is value in that role, but not as a dictator, not as an order provider that, that here's what the team will do next and here's what they'll do next and here's what they'll do after that. And this whole idea of long backlogs and, and product roadmaps kind of looks like that and smells like that. I think the, the, the best approach is to uh, experiment and learn as rapidly as you possible, possibly can and to always deliver value, which means always deliver software and learn from that. Uh, have we achieved the value we had hoped? And if not, uh, uh, pivot. And that concludes this edition of the Continuous Delivery Podcast. Goodbye.